All right, um, we're finishing up our series on uh, the scriptures, studying scripture and meditating on scripture. As I've said before, um, typically as a church, we go through books of the Bible. So we've been in the Gospel of Matthew for a while. We finished up the Sermon on the Mount. And then uh, we as elders have talked about the, the importance of periodically focusing on what's a spiritual practice or oftentimes called a spiritual discipline. And uh, recognizing that uh, we look at Christ's life and we see some of these practices that he was regularly engaged in. And we say often that, you know, often we want to experience the life of Christ, but to experience the life of Christ, we recognize maybe we need to incorporate some of the lifestyle of Christ in our lives. So we've looked at prayer, we've looked at the importance of community as a body, we've looked at silence and solitude, and then this last focus um, has been on Scripture. And we've been in this series for several weeks. The first week we looked at why take Scripture seriously at all. And we've looked at the fact, basically, we realized that Jesus took Scriptures really seriously. And if He is the Son of God that rose from the dead, then probably we should listen to what He says about the importance of Scripture. And then we dealt with what are oftentimes obstacles or stumbling blocks for people as they look at the Scriptures. And the first week we looked at the Scriptures and the Old Testament law. How do we look at the Old Testament law? And I showed the meme, you know, shellfish or slavery. God chooses to ban shellfish, you know. And kind of the opposition that, and pushback that you get. So how do we as people who believe in this word look at the law? And then we looked at the old idea of science and Scripture. How do you put those together and we dealt with that and then last week we looked at the violence that we see in the Old Testament and how to look at that reality in light of Scripture because we didn't feel like people are going to dig into Scripture unless they were confident in Scripture and felt like okay this is stuff that's actually relevant and it's actually going to be good for my life. So this morning we're going to look just kind of turn more pragmatically. Um, we've been dealing with some pretty heavy, big topics that uh, oftentimes consume a lot of brain power, and that's good sometimes. But this morning, I just want to focus on if we do take the scriptures seriously, how do we go about then kind of allowing those scriptures to transform our lives? Because as we see scriptures on their own, just knowing a lot of biblical data is not the end goal that we had. Remember Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees and he says, man, you search the scriptures, you know these things backwards and forwards. But what does he say to them? Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So scriptures, this book is designed to point us to Christ so that we can experience the life of Christ. But how does that actually kind of work itself into our lives? And so I want to give you just some suggestions this morning. Like I said, this morning is going to be more pragmatic than expository teaching, but just some things that I've found helpful through the years. Um, the first point that I want to make is before you even open the Scriptures, you need to pray for understanding and illumination of these Scriptures. I was just struck, if you guys know, Psalm 119 is basically the longest chapter in the Bible, and the whole thing is devoted to Scripture. But it was struck recently by reading through that how many times the author prayed for understanding or that he would be taught by God. He had the scrolls and the word there, but he still had to pray, Lord, help me to, to understand this. Nine times in that psalm, he asked to be taught by the Holy Spirit or to be given understanding. 
In Psalm 119, 125, this is just an example of one of those. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. So he says, I'm your servant, and Lord, I need you to give me understanding for these testimonies, this law, this book that you've given. And then when Psalm 119, verse 18, he prays, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. So there he's saying, God, I, I can read this stuff, but unless you open my eyes, I'm not going to see really the beauty of this and how it applies to my life. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, it talks about the need for spiritual understanding as we approach the Word. I think anybody can read the Word and get a general understanding of this is what it's about, but in terms of how this relates to my life, how I begin to live this out, how I put these together as I walk through life, that is something I think we need to ask the Lord for understanding and wisdom for. My wife is from Germany, and in her hometown of Heidelberg, there's a guy, Adolf von Harnack, early last century, that had the whole... New Testament in Greek memorized. Anywhere you could just, he'd just have it there. But he wasn't a believer. He knew this thing backwards and forwards, but like the Pharisees of old, he knew the word, but he had not come to the author of that word. He had not come to embrace Jesus Christ and faith. So the reality is, yes, we need to, to know the data of the world, word, but we need to ask God for that understanding that this is real and relevant in my life and how I live my life. Help me to understand this. So to me, the first step, if you're going to dig into the Word, is to pray for understanding of the Word. The second thing as we go to the Scriptures is to, to listen to them, right? Either being read by someone else or our reading them ourselves. We forget sometimes that until Gutenberg, very few people had copies of the Scripture. In 1 Timothy 14, 13, it says this, Paul's talking to his protege, Timothy, and he says, devote yourselves. Pretty serious. This is something he wants Timothy to devote himself to. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. So one of the things that he says, Timothy, I want you to devote your life to is just reading Scripture. Yes, teaching and exhortation, but the first in that is just reading the Scriptures. You know, and, and again, it's like Jesus, remember, he would always say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Like, okay, you're thinking, well, if they heard that statement, obviously they have ears to hear, right? But I think there's a way to listen and there's a way to listen, right? So Jesus is saying, pay attention to what I'm saying. And so to me, the place to start is just by reading it, Right? To get into the Word, I'm always asked, you know, what's the best translation? And I heard the Bible Project, the best translation is the one you will actually read. <laughs> so, you know, you can have a whole debate on translations, and, you know, there's a little church up the street that, you know, it's like King James 1611 is the only legitimate translation. I don't believe that at all. In fact, I think the King James is based on not the best Greek manuscripts. It's not horrible, but I don't think it's the best. And you have this variety of translations, and it seems like a new Bible version comes out almost monthly, you know, now. 
And so you've got versions that I, they're called formal equivalents that are tried more word-for-word -word translations. Some of you are familiar with when I came to Christ many decades ago, the New American Standard was the more word-for-word -word translation. And you read it, and it's kind of hard to read, but the idea is we want to kind of try to go word-for-word. -word. Any of you who've done language study know it's really hard because there's not... In another language, a word that exactly matches the word that you have in your language. But like the New American Standard, the ESV that I preach out of typically, the Christian Standard Bible now is one of them, that are more on that word-for-word uh, -word type of space on that spectrum. Then you get the middle that you have the NIV, the TNIV, um, the New Living Translation, which is kind of a more of a translation than the old Living Bible. And then you get on to the really loose translations, you know, the Living Bible, you know, and the Good News Bible. And uh, way out there is kind of Eugene Peterson's message. So, you know, and, and the, the middle ones, like the NIV, they're called dynamic equivalence translations. They're not more word for word, but more thought-for-thought thought translations. So they try to communicate, okay, what does this whole phrase mean in the original language and what's the best phrase to incorporate that into our modern language? And so again, you look at all these and which is the best one? Well, they've got their strengths and they've got their weaknesses. And to me, to recognize that almost any translation, it's going to be an interpretation as well. There's a group of scholars that get together and they try to figure out what's the best way of saying this. So you recognize as you read through, okay, this translation is slightly different than this one. What's the best translation? It's not a translation at all to go to Greek or <laughs> to Hebrew and, and to learn that. And now there's a lot of fantastic tools out there that you can get for learning those kind of things as well. But again, to me, the best translation is one that you're actually going to read. Um, on the back table, uh, there's a reading plan that uh, Clay Jones put together for the church, and amazingly, it starts tomorrow. And uh, this reading plan is going to take you through the New Testament and the Psalms and the Proverbs, and it's basically about three chapters a day. And uh, Saturday, we've got it scoped in so that you'll be reading whatever passage I'm going to be teaching out of that Sunday, and Clay's going to update that as he sends out the email, um, announcements email each week, and then on Sunday, it's a catch-up day or, or day off, and it averages out about three chapters a day. So I'd encourage you, if you're not on a Bible reading plan, just to start reading. So pick up one there. I think Clay sent it out on the announcements, uh, a PDF file of that as well. So again, we want to just encourage you to read. If you're not reading the Bible, and I know a lot of people, it's like, oh, I just don't have time for that. Okay, three chapters doesn't take that long. Okay, start your Netflix show, you know, five or ten minutes later than you would normally do it, and input some scripture in your lives. So listen to the scriptures, read them, either hear them read or read them yourself. And there's tons of great programs out. If you've got a commute, you can put that in or listen to an MP3 of scripture. So just, we live in a world that's constantly marinating us with a particular view of what life is. And if I'm never hearing any message that's counter to that, then I'm just, it's going to morph me into its form. It's just the reality. And so, to me, we've got to be doing stuff that will input Scripture into our lives. So, read something. Pick up Clay's reading plan if you're not doing one. 
I happened to go through, there's an old guy, Murray McShane, that has a Bible reading plan through the year, and I tend to take a different translation and do a different translation each year. This year I'm doing the Christian Standard Bible, I've done the NLT, the ESV, and all those kind of things. But just, again, find a ver- if you love one version, great. Read that one a lot, you know. But just, I want to encourage you actually to read it. Second, study them. Study the scriptures. Again, to me, the goal is to figure out what the original author intended to say. It's not, you know, a lot of it is like, uh, boom. Okay, what's that word for me today? I don't necessarily recommend that approach of studying scripture. I can't really apply scripture to my life unless I understood I understand how it first applied and what it first meant in its context. And we talked about that in dealing with science and some of those things. But the reality is that I've got to understand what this first meant before I seek to apply it in my context. And again, the, the reality is that there's so many wonderful resources out there for you as a believer right now. You know, with the advent of the internet and all that kind of stuff, the Bible Project, Tim Mackey and those guys do a wonderful job. Almost every book, they've got an introduction, gives you the flavor for that. So there's just some phenomenal resources out there for study. I use a Bible program called Logos. That's available. There's tons of Bible apps as well that help you figure out, okay, what is the word that's behind the word? This word shows up in three different ways in the various translations I read. What is the meaning of the original word behind that? So there's lots of great resources out there. There's great commentaries out there as well. I forgot to bring it up here. But uh, a book that I really like um, that helps you dig and study a little bit, How to Read the Bible, for all it's worth, by a guy named Gordon Fee. They're just really good in terms of taking you through the scriptures. I got some extra copies. They're on the bookshelf out in the foyer. But uh, to recognize that, you know, scriptures come to us, and they were written for us, but they weren't written to us. Some of these documents are thousands of years old, so to figure out, okay, what was the original context? What were they trying to say in that context? That's going to take some work. And we don't like to work at this stuff, right? We just want it <laughs> all on the bottom shelf. I don't want to have to study this stuff, but that's part of reality. In, first, in 2 Timothy 2.14 and 15, Paul tells Timothy that he's to, to rightly handle the word of truth, basically. And that word handle was used of cutting uh, a path in the forest as straight as you could towards the goal. So the idea is that we're called to rightly handle the scriptures. And the reality is in 2 Peter 3, I'm going to turn there. Uh, Peter's talking about Paul's writings. And uh, in that little section, he makes some interesting comments. This is what he says. Verse 15 of 2 Peter, you don't have to turn there, just listen. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, this hope of Christ's return, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. 
So Peter is saying here, Paul's written you stuff. And he says, just like the other scriptures that are read. So Peter is saying what Paul wrote was scripture. But then he says, some of those things are hard to understand. You know, and we, we have to go back again and again, I think, to read through this as what is the meaning of this. And then he says, some people distort and twist that, right? And the reality is, as we walk through this life, there's going to be a whole lot of teaching out there that's a whole lot of nonsense. And that's just, you know, scriptures warn of that reality. That there are going to be those that come and people are going to, hear, going to want to hear a particular message. And it's a message that the scriptures talks about itch their ears, right? And it says you're going to gather a whole lot of teachers around you that just say what you want to hear, Right? And there's a whole danger in our world that's like, ah, I'm going to go from this person to this person until I finally get someone who agrees with my point of view, right? And, and that happens often. If you're on the internet, whatever position you want to take, you can probably find some, quote, Christian teacher out there that will support your particular view. My question is, is that an honest approach to dealing with Scripture? In Hebrews 4.12, it talks about Scripture being sharp as a sword, able to get in there and kind of dice us up a little bit. If sometimes when you're reading scripture, if it doesn't regularly kind of go, ooh, it's like, oh, that doesn't feel comfortable to me. We should expect that from scripture, right? What does the word tell us? That there's a way that seems right to a person, but that way ends in death. And so when scripture comes out and there's a way that seems right to me and scripture says all of a sudden, nah, that, that's not the way that's going to lead to life, and we say, no, 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 that is. And Scripture says, no, 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 it, it's not. And there's a wrestling match that goes on. If I only listen to people that say exactly what I want to hear, then I'm wondering if I'm really listening to the Word of God. You know, there's a whole school of kind of prosperity thinking that, you know, it's like, oh man, God wants me to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and, you know, I'm just going to kind of skate into eternity with everything going perfectly for me. And you can cherry-pick verses here and there out of Scripture to support that view. But the reality is, if you look at all of Scripture, Jesus says some pretty tough stuff sometimes, right? That in this world you will have trouble. Expect it. James says, when you encounter tribulation and difficulty, consider it pure joy. It's like, I'm not even close to considering this pure joy. But he says, because it's working in you something that's really, really beneficial. So again, to me, as we read and as we study and as we listen to people, there's tons of podcasts, some really good ones and some really bad ones out there. The question is, am I listening to somebody that, whose goal is to preach the truth accurately? Or are they coming to Scripture with a particular mindset already that God wants us to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and I'm just going to talk about those things like that. And I never get to Jesus saying that, you know, a person's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions. And Jesus is saying that I don't even have any place to lay my head. You know, and, and we're just not going to talk about those things. When Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders, he says, it's the last time I'm going to see you, and he says, I did not hesitate to proclaim to you in Acts 20 the whole counsel of God's Word. The stuff that really resonates with you and the stuff that's really hard. In our day and age, the stuff that's really hard is stuff about sexuality because our whole life is revolving around sexuality, right? And my expression of sexuality in any way, shape, and form that I want. And we come to the Word and we regularly see that's not what 
the word says. But I can find a teacher that will teach exactly what I want to hear on that. That's not a problem to find. So my question is, when I'm studying Scripture, am I studying just to affirm the opinions that I want affirmed, or am I really willing to have this book periodically get in there and say, nope, that's not the right way. And God doesn't say that to rob us of life. He says that to give us life. Because we think those things are going to provide us with life, and God says, no, that's ultimately not. And a lot of what God says provides us with life is totally paradoxical. You want to gain life? Give it away. Huh? No, I want to keep as much stuff as I can. He says, no, 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 that's not where you're going to find life. And that runs contrary to me. I'm, you know, I'm as selfish as the next. I want this stuff. No. Life is found in giving your life away. And so we come to Scripture, and to me, as we're studying it, it should regularly hit us and push us in a direction that maybe we're not that comfortable going. And I'm wondering if that never happens in my reading and studying of Scripture if I'm really listening to it or if I'm just listening to some part of it that's taken out of context. And again, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, read dead people. (laughs) The idea that we're, C.S. Lewis talked about chronological snobbery, that we're in this particular age and we tend to view everything from the lens of our age. So maybe read some of the early church fathers and how they looked at scripture or issues because they're not trapped in our age. And we can learn from them as well. So read broadly, read discerningly, listen discerningly to people that you trust. In the back of this book, there's a list of commentaries on you know, those authors that seriously look at Scripture and want to understand what it first said and apply it in our world today. So that's going to take some effort. It's going to take some time. Um, it's a process that we engage in. It's not that we come to understanding all these things right away. You know, we can come to salvation in a moment when we trust in Jesus Christ. We ask Him to forgive us our sins and we trust Him for life and want to follow Him then after that. That's instantaneous. But maturity and having our mind reformed and shaped in the way that we will begin to think like Christ, that's to me a lifelong process. For those of you who have been believers a while, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you believe the exact same thing right now that you believed day two of your Christian walk? Probably not. Hopefully not, right? Hopefully you've grown. And Scripture says, you know, at the beginning, you know, crave Scriptures like you crave milk. But then he says, you know, you guys should be eating some T-bones right now. And I'm still having to feed you baby food. You know, in essence, it's a pushback that you should be in the Word. You should be studying. This is something that is important for you. And it's not, oh, we hire that person up front. He's the guy that needs to study Scripture. No, all of us are called to study Scripture. So study. And then ponder the Scriptures. The Scripture word is meditate on them. This is all over in Psalm 119, and it's all over in Scripture, right? In Psalm 1, Blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law... He meditates or she meditates day and night. Over and over in Scripture, we hear this call in Scripture to meditate on Scripture. And we talked about that word meditate. In Eastern meditation, what's our goal? To empty our mind and totally zone out, right? 
just to be kind of, I don't know, um, you know, when I lived out in Boise, Idaho, there were people who go up, there was a flat top on a mountain that was, you know, called Table Rock, and they'd all go up there and hum for a harmonic convergence. I don't know what harmonic convergence meant, but that's what they were looking for up there. Scriptural meditation is not emptying our mind, but it's filling our mind with Scripture. It's thinking about Scripture. It's recognizing that Scripture is meant to transform us, not just to inform us. And as we go to the Word of God, to me we go and we ponder this stuff over and over. That word meditate or ponder was used of cows chewing the cud. You know, it's kind of gross. The cows have several stomachs and they keep regurgitating stuff. And, you know, but it's the same stuff and what are they doing? They're chewing it over and over and over again so that they get nutritional value they, they draw everything out of that. So to recognize that it's going to take some over and over and over in your mind, especially some passages that are more difficult to understand. And so to me, one of the things I go to Scripture is like, God, show me yourself here. I want to have an accurate view of who you are. And then the second question is, God, show me myself here. I want to have an accurate view of who I am. Because Scripture says that we can all have blind spots. There are things that we don't see in our lives. Maybe everybody around us may see those. Oftentimes they don't share that with us unless it gets really dicey. But the reality is, am I open to my eyes being open? said, hey, this is an area that maybe you need to work on, Brett. And God in His grace, I think, does that very patiently through our lives. Anybody been reading Scripture for a while and then something just hits them and they realize, man, I haven't even been paying any attention to this area for the last 15 years, but maybe God wants me to start looking at that area of life. And going into it, and, and this idea that this is God's communication to us. Remember the, the book of Samuel, and Samuel has you know, been given to Eli, and you know, they're sleeping, and he's like hearing stuff, and, and then Eli finally realized, oh, God's trying to communicate with, with Samuel. And then Eli says, when you hear that voice again, just say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I think that's a great approach. Lord, I want you to speak through this word because I believe that you're still alive and I believe that your primary means of communicating to us is through the word of God. So help me to hear what you're communicating to me. To recognize that the goal of scripture study is, is transformation. In Romans 12, 2, it says, don't be conformed to this age. And that's what I was talking about before. We live in a particular age with a particular view of life. There are things that we just kind of accept. We're marinated in this culture whether we like it or not. And that has an impact on us. And if we're never kind of getting out of that cultural marinade, and it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind by how you're thinking about life that is different. That you know what? Life is more than just the 60 or 70 years that I'm here maximizing pleasure, minimizing pain, then I die and check out and I'm done. No, this life is meant to be lived in relationship with God and if I know and trust Him, this life goes on forever. And one day I will stand before God that I am accountable to. And I don't like that, and modern culture doesn't like that, but that's the reality of what Scripture says. And as I look at the Word, it begins to change me from the inside out. Paul in 1 Timothy 1 says that the goal of his instruction is love. The goal of knowing Scripture is not to know a lot of Scripture. 
So you can trounce anybody and say, oh, I know that better than you know that. Ain't I great? The goal is that I become a more loving person, that I love God more, and that I love those people around me more. And if that's not what Scripture is working into my life, that's not the job that Scripture has for me. I'm, I'm amassing all this data information, maybe for my own pride, or saying, ah, I know it, but there's a huge difference between knowing and doing, right? James says, you know, if you just look at it and hear it and walk away, it's like a person looking at himself in the mirror, a big chunk of dirt on his face, and then walks away and forgets that he's got that chunk of dirt. It's like, no, this is supposed to inform who I am, and I'm supposed to do something about it. And I think, again, that scriptures are the primary way that God begins to transform us. In Colossians 3.16, if you want to turn there, I really like this verse. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I love that. That Christ's word dwells in us richly, that it has a big, wide space in our lives. Let it dwell there richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Notice what he says there. Is he just saying, okay, you teachers... You're the ones that are supposed to let the Word of God dwell in you richly. And does he say, oh, you teachers, you're the only ones that are supposed to be teaching? No, what does he say there? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. It's like, this is all of our task, right? It's not just, okay, that's the person we hire, and I've got more time to study the Scripture. That's great. It's wonderful. I love my job. But the reality is that does not excuse you from being a student of the Scriptures as well. Because you're called to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly and to be able to teach and admonish one another. It's not, I, that's not my job. I'm going to let the pastor talk to them about that. Well, maybe you should talk to them about that. And if you come to me and say, you need to talk to that person about this, I need to say, have you gone and talked to that person about that? Because I don't need to know anything about that if you haven't first talked to them. Because if you talk to them and then they turn around, then I don't need to know about it. And I think God's heart is that when stuff is exposed, it's as exposed in a small way as possible. And if one person goes and that person repents, great. That's wonderful. Nobody else needs to know. You've won your brother or your sister. If that person doesn't respond, then you take others. But the reality is I think God's not trying to shame anybody. He's trying to just call that person. This is not a way that you're living consistently with the word. So to teach and admonish one another is all of our responsibility. So recognize that these scriptures are meant to transform us. They're not meant just to be an intellectual exercise that we know. And then finally, share them. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. This is a group project, and I love that it talks about singing in that section. I was raised as a believer, but not really. It was just kind of, I went to church, and I can hear a song from the late 70s and 80s, and I can hear the first two bars of that song, and I have that entire lyric in my head, and I can sing that thing, and know, you know, it's like, what in the world? Why is my mind filled with all this nonsense that doesn't need to be there? But I love it that he says, sing truth to one another so that that stuff gets imprinted 
in your hearts. Music is significant and it has a way of rooting this stuff in our hearts. I'm a C, I'm a C, yeah. <laughs> you, just, you remember stuff like, yeah. But the reality, I don't, that's not a great song, but you know, the, the reality is there's a lot of really good songs out there that impart truth in your minds. And that's a good thing. When I was in seminary, the last thing I wanted to do in my time with the Lord is open the Bible and study it because that's all I was doing. So you know what I did? I would generally pick up a guitar and just worship and you know, music was much more important to me at that stage because I needed that emotional connection with God and that's what rooted it. It was not just, oh, I got to figure out exactly what this means. So again, to avail ourselves of all these wonderful resources out there to put truth into our hearts and our minds and to have that stuff kind of just going around in our craw as we go through life. And then finally, enjoy the Scriptures. That passage in Psalm 119, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things in your law. That we are created in God's image. We are designed to be in a relationship with God. And as many people have said, this is God's love letter to us. He's saying, I loved you enough that despite your rebellion, despite all that you have done, I entered into this very broken planet in space and time to communicate as an incarnate word the truth of what the Father was like. And I ultimately gave my life on that cross. I rose from the dead validating who I am, and then I've come to give you life. That's a beautiful thing. And we've got the written word that tells us about the incarnate word. One of my things that I think about a lot is, you guys have heard of SETI, right? Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And human beings have poured hundreds of millions of dollars into this project to hopefully hear some radio blips from an alien civilization out there somewhere in the universe. The last just got a huge, I think, $100 million grant from some you know, uh, investment banker that got really rich, $3.8 billion on the, the internet stuff. And so he's like, oh, we got to find extraterrestrial intelligence out there. And I'm like, okay, even granted that, and even if you hear beep, 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 Okay, great. You know, there's some, But we have the ability to hear from the God of this universe that created all things in a way that's probably going to be much more intelligible than radio blips that are coming in through some high-powered radio telescopes that are out there. And as I think about that, I think, like, how much attention do I pay to this word? And I read the Old Testament passages where they say, oh, your law is better than silver and gold and everything. And I was like, do I really view that word in the same way? It's like, if I've got a message from the God that created me, that knows how I'm wired, that knows what I need, that is desirous of good things in my life, why in the heck am I not? reading this thing and treasuring this thing a lot more than I am. We're to come to the living word and to receive life. And that living word says this written word is what communicates truth about who we are and who he is. My heart for you is to experience life and that's life to the full. That's what Jesus promises God's not trying to rip us off and he's not trying to rob us despite what our culture says. 
Life is found in this or this or this. You pick it, success, sex, money, accumulation, whatever it is, that ultimately is going to be a path that does not lead to flourishing. Yet, we are so drawn to those paths, aren't we? So to me, one of the ways that keeps me off of those paths, how can a young man keep his way pure? By knowing this thing. By allowing my thinking to be reshaped by what is really true. You know, there's a lot of talk about fake news, what's real out there. But to me, we go to Jesus who is the truth, who says this word is seriously the truth communicated in written form to you. Am I willing to imbibe it? Am I reading it? Am I thinking about it? Am I pondering it? Am I listening to it maybe musically? How am I allowing this word to reshape and my thinking and then transform my life? Because you are being formed, whether you like it or not. It's either you're being formed by the world or you're being formed by the truth of God's word and who Jesus is. And my desire is to be morphed, shaped, transformed into the image of Christ. So that when I encounter people, they can see Christ in me. Not because I have all this Bible knowledge, but because the love of God flows in and out of me because of what he's done through his word in my life. Let's pray. Father, we just confess how sometimes we are so apathetic about this treasure of your word as we heard India talk about these Iranian followers of you that so treasure that. So Lord, help us to imbibe this word, to take it into our lives, to ponder its meaning for our lives. Lord, we recognize that we need your help in that process. As Peter said, there's some stuff that's in here that's hard to understand. So we, like the psalmist in Psalm 119, we ask for understanding not so much just of the words, but of the application of those words to our lives. Lord, we recognize that this is a work of your Spirit in us. We thank you for your grace in this process. That like the psalmist, we can cry out that you'd search us and see if there's any offensive way in us. And as we read your word and as it pricks our conscience, Lord, help us to be responsive to you. And now, Lord, as we come to your table, to remember the lengths to which you were willing to go to reestablish a relationship with us that we had broken because of our sin and our rebellion. Lord, help us to appreciate so much more the incarnate Word and what He was willing to do for us. Greater love has no man than this that He lay down His life for His friends. God of the universe, we thank You that You consider us those of us who have trusted you as your friends. As we come to this table, may we take you seriously and may we take your word seriously. Lord, work in each and every heart here this morning as we partake of your table to remember you and what you've done for us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.